Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Hear God's word this morning. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, Have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we come to the preaching of God's word, let's pray. Go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do ask for your help this morning, for your spirit to open our eyes and open our ears, um, to see truth here and to hear truth and receive it, but help us to respond to it and to respond to your word rightly. So I pray that you would uh, give us great clarity and insight this morning, that your word would come with power And that your word would transform us so that we might live for you and walk for you in this world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are finishing our series in the book of Colossians. It's been a great summer together, uh, looking at the preeminence of Christ all the way through the book of Colossians. And so we finish this out with Paul's greetings, final greetings and final instructions to this church. And as I was thinking about some of the themes that come out of this passage, it's got me thinking about uh, the realm and the world of health and exercise. And that's um, something that where you, you kind of feel like you always are hearing about a new diet, a new workout plan, a new gym, a new, a new exercise that you need to be doing. And they're all in a sense uh, to be an avenue to really help you find success in the world of health or in your exercise routine. And the message so often underneath that is that that what you currently have or what you currently are doing is actually not enough. You need something else. You need this new exercise. You need this new diet. You need this new plan. Listen to this quote from a workout gym that I read. It says, if you're one of those people who have already built the habit of exercise, congratulations. It's now time to ask yourself, is your workout good enough? You might think, yeah, of course, exercise is exercise, right? I'm pretty sure it's enough. If you're seeing the results you want, you're probably right. But sometimes we keep doing the same exercise routine for a long time with little to show for it. 
Then he goes on to, to share six ways to see if your exercise, your workout is enough. And it's to cause this question, am I doing it right? Do I have what is right? Do I have enough currently? And as we've studied the book of Colossians, not in the world of health and fitness, but in the the spiritual realm, our own spiritual lives, the Colossians were tempted with that same very question. They were hearing messages that caused them to wonder, is Jesus enough? Do I have enough with Jesus to grow? Do I have enough with Jesus to actually have spiritual maturity? And they were hearing messages or had pressure that if you only follow these rules, then you'll have fullness of maturity or full spiritual life. If you stay away from these certain things, if you worship on these days, if you do these traditions or mystical practices, then you will have full spiritual life. The underlying message is Christ is not enough. You need more. You need add-ons. So Paul writes this letter, and he's elevated Christ for us this summer as we've studied and as we looked through it. As our title says, the preeminence of Christ, because Paul is concerned with this church, and he's concerned with Christians beyond. He's concerned with us that we would see Christ ultimately as enough. So as we come to the conclusion of the book of Colossians, it's also helpful just to think of of where we have come and how Paul has elevated Jesus Christ above all things so that we would fix our gaze upon him. Think about chapter one. What did Paul highlight with Jesus? he, He said, he is the Lord of all creation. He is the head of the church. He is the one through whom we find reconciliation for God. This is Jesus. Chapter two, we see his victory and power through the cross and his death, disarming the evil authorities and disarming sin. We see Jesus as the fulfillment of the law, that all of the law was was just a shadow, but Jesus is truly the substance. We see in chapter 3 the resurrection of Jesus and the wonderful life that he gives and the power that he gives to actually live a transformed life and putting to death the ways of sin and putting on the ways of Christ And then we see towards the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4 the the wonderful and great power of Jesus to actually transform every relationship that we are in. With our church relationship, the relationship in the body of Christ, in our family, in our workplaces, with the world around us, is that there is power in Christ to change and to transform how we live and how we treat one another and to transform our relationships The preeminence of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. For our salvation, Jesus is enough. For our spiritual life and growth, Jesus is enough. For our eternal hope, Jesus is enough. We have seen this message in the book of Colossians. For all that we need, Jesus is enough. And so at the, the, the heart of what Paul has been doing and what we have hopefully been studying together is that as you have received Jesus who is enough, continue in him. Walk in him. There's not something new that you need to do, but walk and continue in Christ and with Christ. That has been Paul's aim and his concern. And that's also included in his final words here. It's not just a list of names that maybe are a little hard to pronounce, <laughs> 
but it's filled with greetings from this church and commentary on these people that are intended to help the church and also help us continue in Christ. That was Paul's aim in the whole book, also in this final conclusion. So for this morning, I wonder if you're questioning, or maybe this summer you've been questioning, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus really what I need for spiritual maturity, for spiritual life? Or maybe you know somebody, somebody in your life, somebody in your family, a friend, who has that same very question. Is Jesus enough? But the reality is that all the other options may look appealing, but they end up empty, failing to deliver for us. So no matter who you are this morning, we need to hear this call to continue in Christ. And I think the way that Paul does this through our passage is he provides and gives encouragement for this church. He also gives examples for this church and he gives exhortations for this church, all intended to help them and us continue in Christ. So let's start with verses 7 through 9 where Paul gives us encouragement to continue in Christ. Look at verse 8. It's very clear right there. It says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. You see, he's putting this picture of his team, his ministry team that he's sending to them and he's also giving examples But they are intended to give comfort and to give encouragement and strengthen the faith. This is not just an emotional encouragement, but it's a spiritual strengthening for them to continue and for them to persevere in their faith. But a simple reflection on verses 7 through 9 is, yes, he wants to give encouragement, but he sends this encouragement first through, through people. He sends people to them, Tychicus, Onesimus. And it's a wonderful reminder of God's people ministering to one another and God using God's people as a means to encourage our hearts. Think about Tychicus. Throughout the New Testament, he is a letter carrier. He's partnering with Paul, and Paul sends him out with the letters that he writes to the churches, and he takes them to them. And his very presence as a faithful and beloved servant and brother with Paul and in the church His very presence is to be an encouragement to this church. He's a trusted, loyal, reliable, faithful messenger for Paul and for this church. But he also sends Onesimus. From the book of Philemon, we know that Onesimus, he was a runaway slave. And he left the city and he left the house that he was a slave in. And eventually he meets up with Paul and, and he's converted And the reality is he's transformed and Christ changes his life and transforms his life. And we we hear and read in the book of Philemon that Paul calls Philemon, receive him not as a slave, but receive him as a brother, a brother in Christ. So we have the presence here. He's sending and giving encouragement through people, a faithful servant of Christ, a transformed servant in Christ. And they are to bring encouragement and stoke the fire of their faith to continue in Christ. 
You know, I'm not a long-distance runner. I grew up doing sprints playing basketball, so long-distance running is a little difficult. But thanks to Julie and the Stars Ministry, just about every summer I do a 5K. (laughs) And not being a long-distance runner, I'm not going to lie, it is a little difficult to finish that run, especially when you're running around Lawson Field. Do you know what I mean? It's a long way around that field there trying to finish that. But the reality is, and a great encouragement as I am running, and I'm sure many others, is peppered throughout this run. You see college church members. You see stars families. You see stars supporters. You see friends. You see family encouraging and coming alongside to continue and finish the race and finish the run. And it really is a source of encouragement. I wonder how much that would be for a marathon, a longer run. How much more in the race and the run of the Christian life do we need people coming alongside us in the presence of the body of Christ to encourage us and encourage our hearts to continue in Christ? Don't underestimate the ministry of presence the body of Christ has with one another. But it wasn't just their visit that was an encouragement to them. They brought the letter that Paul wrote. They brought the letter and they also brought news, news of Paul's ministry. And they were bringing the authoritative words of Paul and the ministry update of Paul, or more simply, they were bringing God's word and they were bringing news of God's work to them. And it was intended to strengthen their faith and encourage their faith and help them to continue. Because in this time, the letter carriers, they didn't just pass on the letter and then peace out and leave is what they would do is they would give the letter and they would be there to elaborate upon that because they were with Paul or to maybe give other instructions and and help them understand more of what is there. And as they received this message and as they received these updates about what is going on with Paul, it was to refresh their hearts and encourage them and give them confidence in their faith. So let me ask us this morning, how is your heart How is your faith encouraged? Where do you seek that? Well, Paul wants us even to find encouragement from faithful messengers who share God's word and share news of God's work with one another. Think of the implications for this corporately. Is that we we need to have a, a fresh expectation as we come to hear God's word that it will actually encourage our hearts That it is what we need for refreshment to continue on in Christ. We need the message of God's word shared with us. I think there's also, as we see this church concerned about Paul and what was going on with him, that we as a church need to be concerned and be thinking about our own ministry partners, our missionaries, to partner with them in prayer, to receive updates about what is going on so we know what is going on with them and be encouraged with the work God is doing in and through our ministry partners and our missionaries and, and laboring alongside them even here in prayer and receiving news about them. But I think there's also just a personal application for us that as we are called to even share God's word And share God's work, what God is doing in and through us and around us with one another in personal relationship. Are we doing that? Do we see the need for that? As we see this picture with Tychicus and Onesimus who are messengers sharing God's word and sharing news of God's work. 
to stir up the faith of the Colossians. But Paul not only gives encouragement to help us continue, Paul, Paul goes on in verses 10 to 14 to give examples. He gives examples to, to breathe fresh confidence into this church. And we see the example of gospel partnership and we see the example of fervent prayer with Paul's team. See, these are all co-workers and co-laborers with Paul in his mission. So Paul is the, the general, this ministry general in a sense, and he's, in, he's behind bars, he's in chains, and yet these guys are the soldiers that are laboring with him, continuing this work and continuing this ministry and fighting and battling to advance the gospel along with Paul. And they give us a picture of gospel partnership. Look at verse 11 with me. Right, uh, the second part of it says, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. These first three names that he describes, says these are Jews. The next three names that he describes, these are Gentiles. And what he is giving us a picture of is the wonderful and powerful unity that happens in and through Christ. You see, there is a dividing wall between Jews and between Gentiles. And he's putting this picture that Christ breaks through worldly distinctions, divisions, and worldly status and unites a new people to himself. He's already shared this with us. He says, in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. In Christ, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised. In Christ, there is no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and in all. Through Christ, he transcends. We, the, the, Christ, the gospel transcends these worldly distinctions and worldly barriers and brings about a unity that can only happen in Jesus. Because in this time, the Jews and the Gentiles, they were alienated from one another. They did not associate with one another, let alone partner with one another in what they were doing. This is also seen in the way that there was a description on the outer courtyard of the Jewish temple that warned the Gentiles that they would be to blame for their own death if they passed into the inner court of the Jewish people and the temple. They were separated. They were alienated and hostile to one another. But God's heart all along, even going back to Abraham, was to bless the nations to gather a people to himself from all the nations to praise him and be his people forever. See, through Christ, these dividing walls have been overcome and superseded, and he brings about a unity. Jews and Gentiles partnering together, laboring together for the advancement of the gospel. You see, this is a great hope to us that if you come to Christ, you're brought into the family of God regardless of your social background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your race, regardless of your status in the eyes of the world is that you're brought into the family of God into unity with God's people. How much do we need to hear this word today in the last few months, the last few years, even this weekend as we think about what's happened in Virginia the horrible, sinful acts of racism and division. There is division still in our world today. And the church is not exempt from division. But there is hope and there is power in the gospel 
that transcends through the social divisions or ethnic divisions in our world. There is no room for racism or segregation or division in the body of Christ. Christ has purchased our unity and Christ is bringing together a people for himself from all nations to love him and worship him and serve him and partner together. So it's a call to maintain the unity that we have in Christ, viewing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, not seeing one another according to the worldly status or divisions that we have. And even those who are outside of Christ, seeing the value of people made in the image of God and wanting to call them to Christ and his gospel. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it that unites us? Is it our preferences? Is it our family? Is it our background? Is it our ethnicity? The only thing that truly unites us and breaks through and overrides those things is Christ and his good news of the gospel. Are there dividing walls that you are building? Well, in Christ, there is hope for unity and we can pursue that and maintain that. But also within this gospel partnership, we don't just see unity between the Jews and the Gentiles laboring and partnering together. We, we see the relationship between Mark and Paul. See, years earlier, Mark and Paul were also laboring together doing missionary journeys, but Mark had abandoned Paul on their missionary journey. And there was a rift between Paul and Barnabas, and they went separate ways. Barnabas and Mark went one way. Paul and Silas went another way. And we don't know all the details, but somehow these two have come together in reconciliation and are laboring together to advance the gospel. How many of you this morning need to be reminded of that picture? Just to receive the the encouragement or confidence that the gospel can bring about that type of reconciliation. Or maybe you need to hear that challenge to pursue reconciliation yourself. You've gone far too many years separated, not reconciled, not welcoming one another or others in this context. Reconciliation, it entails repentance, extending forgiveness, not holding on to bitterness, and pursuing partnership again in Christ. Would you allow this picture of Paul and Mark to just shape your own heart this morning? So we have these examples. Example of gospel partnership. That's to give us confidence in the work of the gospel in our own lives among and through us. And the gospel advancing around the world But we also see an example of fervent prayer with Epaphras. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. See, Epaphras had founded this church. He brought the good news of the gospel to this church. He was a faithful pastor And then he goes and shares news about the Colossians to Paul and his concern. Just like Paul is concerned, it's because Epaphras was concerned about this church. And he is struggling and laboring and fighting and working for the maturity of his flock. And how does he do it? He is praying. He's struggling in his prayers so that they might grow into maturity and continue with Christ and hold fast to Jesus Christ. See, this, this word also has the, the name of, of kind of contending or fighting or, or wrestling. I had a roommate in college who was a wrestler. 
Some of you out here were probably wrestlers or wrestled in your day. That is a grueling and tiring sport. I've watched some matches. And the amount of effort and energy exerted in a match or in preparation or in cardio as I watched my roommate prepare as a wrestler. Here we have this picture of Epaphras wrestling in his prayers, giving energy, giving, giving effort in what he is doing, striving and struggling, contending and wrestling in prayer. We often talk about people as prayer warriors, don't we? Well, Epaphras is a prayer wrestler. <laughs> He's wrestling in his prayers so that they might grow into maturity and be fully assured in the will of God. He's working hard for them. So what do we learn from this example of fervent prayer from Epaphras? I think first, do we, do, we, do we realize and recognize the need and the role of fervent prayer within the body of Christ to give us confidence, to help us to grow in maturity? I think there's a direct word to the pastors here this morning, elders, ministry leaders here. Epaphras, he was the shepherd of this flock. And what was he doing? He was devoting himself to fervent wrestling in prayer for their growth and maturity. Is that what we are after? And I think that trickles down throughout the life of the church as well. Parents, are you wrestling in your prayers? Wrestling, striving in your prayers for your children's maturity, for your children's growth, or maybe their salvation. Ministry leaders, some of you are small group leaders, some of you are high acts leaders, some of you are children's workers. Are you struggling and wrestling in your prayers for those that you are caring for and shepherding? Is that how you pray for your friends, your coworkers, the ministries here at College Church? One pastor called it Epaphras effort. Are we giving Epaphras effort in our prayers? From the leadership all the way down, trickling throughout the life of the church. So Paul provides encouragement to help us continue. He provides these examples to give us encouragement and confidence so that we might continue in Christ. But finally, he gives some exhortations to help us continue in Christ. After they've received these greetings, he says, okay, greet these other churches. Greet the church at Laodicea. Greet Nympha and the the church that meets in her house. And then he brings their attention to the letters. He says, read the letters in verse 16. He says, when it's read among you, have it also read among the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. See, we don't know what this other letter was. It was most likely lost at some point. We have no record of it. But what Paul is highlighting here is the priority of the apostolic testimony and apostolic witness that needs to be foundational and central in the life of these churches It's the exhortation, keep the scriptures central. Keep this message central. Otherwise, you'll start to be tempted to think Christ is not enough. You'll start to crumble. You'll start to fade away. Unless the scriptures, the apostolic witness and the rest of God's word is central in the life of the church. I read about um, 20,000 homes or so in the 1980s that were built in the Northeast with concrete that was actually bad concrete, poor concrete. And over time, what has happened is that foundation has started to crack and many of these homes have become unlivable. 
because the foundation was off and the foundation was wrong. There was a man who built his house on the rock and when the storms came, the house stood. There was a man who built his house on the sand and when the storms came, his house fell. The church needs the scriptures to be central for its longevity, for its health, to guard against false teaching, and to help the church continue on in Christ. It must be guarded and received and read and passed on. This is the importance of of why when we come together corporately, we hear God's word, we read God's word, we pray God's word, we sing songs. It's keeping God's word central so that it might dwell among us and strengthen us and keep us going. Is the word central in your small group? Is the word central in your family life? Is the word central in your own life personally? We must build upon the foundation, the true and strong foundation of God's word. But now verse 17, why does Paul mention this word to Archippus? See that you say to him, fulfill your ministry that you have in the Lord See, I believe Paul is reiterating that not only does the church need the scriptures, but the church needs faithful ministers. See, they exhort him to fulfill his ministry. This is not just for his own good. It's for the good of the church, for the longevity and the health and the continuation of this church is that they need faithful ministers who are fulfilling their calling and fulfilling what God has called them to do, this gospel ministry. So, Church, college church, do you see your own role in helping the ministers and gospel ministers and pastors here continuing their faithful ministry and helping them to be faithful in what they've been called to do, not just for their sake, but for the health of this congregation? The church needs faithful pastors, and pastors need faithful support from the church. So are we ready to respond to these exhortations? As we hear them from Paul. One other thing to note that I think helps us see the gravity of hearing these exhortations is the presence of Demas and the presence of the church of Laodicea here in our own text. You see, a few years later, Demas would be described as one who deserts Paul. Here he is alongside with this team, but down the road he deserts Paul. The church of Laodicea that Paul is mentioning here. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is sending this word saying, you are neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You need to repent. This call to the church of the Laodiceans. And they're present here in our own text and it should make us be alert to say we need to hear and receive the words that Paul is saying here. We must keep the scripture central. We need faithful ministers. We need to hear this encouraging word from Paul. And we ultimately need to keep Christ preeminent over all things in our life to help us continue. So Paul's concern, it was evidenced in how he he gave encouragement here. He gives examples here. He gives exhortations. His concern so that they would continue in Christ, so that they would follow in the same path. And that's what we've been doing all summer We've been looking at Christ and his work and his power to change and transform. We've seen that Jesus is above all things, the head of the church, Lord of all creation, the one who reconciles us to God. There is no other way. 
the one who has power over sin, power over the evil authorities, power over darkness, victory over them through his death, the one who is the substance of all of the law. They were all a shadow, but he is the substance. He is the real deal. Through his resurrection comes life. Through his resurrection and his presence in our life comes transformation to actually put sin to death. Have you heard that message this summer? Have you seen the power of Christ to transform our relationships? Have you heard that message? Have you seen Christ elevated above all things as the one who is worthy, as the one who has power, as the one who can change? There is nothing we can add on to Christ Him alone, he is enough. Is he enough for you this morning, for your salvation and for your spiritual growth? May we hear God's word from the book of Colossians and receive it and apply it in our own lives. If we have received him, let's walk in him. Grace be with you. Let's pray. God, we come before you And we ask that your spirit would be opening our eyes to see the beauty and the supremacy and sufficiency of your son, Jesus. And we ask for your help to continue on in him and with him, living our lives to serve him in the community of faith, being encouraged in that. We're grateful for your work in and through us this summer. And we ask for your help as we continue on. In Christ's name we pray, amen.